your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai I 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Indeed it is. We've got plenty to report on as well when it comes to the world of sport. A couple of minutes away from the start of the first of the friendlies or the warm-ups, the World Cup warm-ups uh, for the Northern Hemisphere teams in the world of rugby. Scotland taking on France, this one up at Murrayfield. Yeah, Tom, this happens at Murrayfield. Kickoff is in about one minute's time and what I can tell you is a lot to do for the Scots today. Of course, they've got an absolute hammering from the French last weekend and uh, a couple of changes reported to this team, but all for the Scots to do this afternoon, Tom. Looking forward to that one. We'll have updates throughout the course of the afternoon as we've been receiving updates on the early kickoff in the Premier League. Chris McCarty. Oh, it's been an absolute barnstorming match, this one. This is, well, it might go down thus far anyways, one of the games of the season. I know that's an early shout given the fact this is only week three, but it's been such a joy to watch this one. 37 minutes on the clock at Carrow Road. If you are just joining us, it's currently Norwich 2, Chelsea two we've seen four goals in the opening half an hour it was Chelsea who got the ball rolling after just three minutes Tammy Abraham getting off the mark this season Todd Cantwell we heard from Dale Gordon former Norwich City played a little earlier he backed Todd to have an impact in this game and he did just that he equalised after six minutes Mason Mount another young English talent who we believe Gareth Southgate and Steve Holland his assistant at England boss uh, they're looking at and may well quick uh, get draft him in to the England senior squad he then made it 2-1 after 17 minutes and then on the half hour mark it's that man with his fifth goal of an already uh, busy season for Timu Puki. wonderful little finish kept on no chance so it is Norwich to Chelsea 2 there's been a goal in the championship as well it is Derby County taking on West Bromwich Albion at Pride Park Philippe Cuckoo's side are the lead this one Martin Waghorn formerly of Ipswich formerly of Rangers up in Scotland he has scored from the penalty spot so Derby lead West Brom by a goal to nil 38 minutes on the clock at Carra Road it's Norwich 2 Chelsea 2 lots of interest in the cricket as well uh, there are three games ongoing at the moment in the world uh, of test cricket uh, we'll have West Indies against India regimenting a little later on uh, this uh, afternoon into the evening the West Indies uh, trailing India by 108 runs with two wickets remaining as they get ready for uh, the third day of the five in that particular test. India, uh, 297 all out. West Indies will resume on 189 for eight. Um, the uh, cricket over in Sri Lanka has come to, uh, is still ongoing at the moment. New Zealand trailing uh, Lanka by, Sri Lanka by 52 runs with six wickets remaining. Sri Lanka 224 or 244 all out in their first innings, 192 for four, uh, 191 for four on New Zealand as we speak at the moment. But the one that's creating all the interest is England. England against Australia. Australia finally bowled out by England this morning, 246 all out. Uh, England still need 348 runs to win. They've got 11 of them uh, so far. They need 348 uh, to win this one. They are having uh, a long, hard lunch at the moment, and they'll consider their thoughts and hopes, and of course, we'll keep an eye on those as well. Uh, one man who's been wading in with all things cricket is the former uh, Australian cricket captain, Mr. Ricky Ponting, wading into the debate. Ricky, how do you sum up Australia's bowling performance today? It's probably about the best I've seen in a long, long time, I reckon. I mean, that was the, the way they started today. Paddy and, and Josh was just unbelievable. Um, I actually had a joke with Nathan Lyon this morning in warm-ups. He was bowling, out there warming up. I said, mate, you don't need to bowl today at all. Don't worry about it. Don't even bother warming up. But as it turned out, he bowled the one over. But those other two in particular were... And they got the rewards. Obviously, Josh got the five for him. And Paddy got three. But just their disciplines and their, and their skill and the line lengths that they bowled was, were outstanding. When everyone turned up today expecting it to be a good batting day... Um, for those guys to start the way they did, pick up early wickets and then not get too carried away, just stick in the channel uh, and bowl like they did was outstanding. What does it say about England's batting though? Well, we were talking about it in commentary. It's, it's actually the fourth time in 18 months they've been bowled out for under 100. I mean, that's, it's incredible to think that that's happened to, to that sort of lineup in four times in 18 months is amazing. So they're frail. I mean, I said before the series started, I... I thought they had more tr problems with their batting than what we did. There was a lot made about how our top order was going to shape up and who comes in and who doesn't play, but you look at their lineup now, and as we saw again today, there are some serious cracks in their, in their batting. Um, you know, their techniques are, are poor. Their shot selection day was terrible as well, uh, and it was a, a big day for them. You know, they, they had to win today, uh, and knowing that they had to pretty much win this game to, to be a chance to win the Ashes, and they've you know, been bowled out for 67, so yeah, pretty ordinary effort. How about this pace attack? There's two guys on the sidelines with 200 test wickets each. Uh, how far can this pace attack take this Australian team? Oh, I think we've talked about 
our pace bowlers for the last three or four years, knowing that once we get them all fit and all together, that we'll have the best group of fast bowlers in the world. And I think that's been proven right now. Um, I mean, that's the thing that I'm staggered about has been the diff, the, the golf, if you like, between the quality of bowling in this series and the quality of batting. If you look at both sides, the both sides fast bowling in particular has been outstanding. We'll actually put Nathan Lyon into that as well from the first couple of games. And the, just a, a vast difference between the quality of bowling compared to the quality of batting. So, uh, look, our blokes are certainly on fire. You think you've got Starkey sitting there not playing and, and Sid's played his role in the first couple of tests. It's, um, yeah, it says lots of great things about Australian cricket. Those are the thoughts of Ricky Ponting. I want to get the thoughts now of the cricket correspondent for the national newspaper, Mr Paul Radley, uh, who's obviously been watching on intently, whether it's been from behind the sofa or behind <laughs> a cushion on the sofa remains to be seen. Uh, Radis, thanks so much indeed for joining the conversation here this afternoon on The Grill. Um, the day that England lost the Ashes, according to Michael Vaughan, Jonathan Agnew and many other commentators, do you concur? Wow, they, it seems highly, highly unlikely that they can get out of it. Like They're going to have to bat for three days to save this game, or if they do, they'll win it. Um, and they can't bat for three sessions at the moment. They're, they're batting they're just absolutely useless. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it probably was. Yesterday was one of the worst days for English cricket for years, I'd say. What's gone wrong, Radders? They just haven't got any batsmen. They're, they're exactly what Ricky Bunting just said there. They're, they're frail, and that's probably a nice way of putting it. Um, and they just the, the golf between the bowlers. The, the, there's no you can't apportion any blame to the England bowlers. They've done everything they could in the series, apart from a little bit on the first day of uh, this Test match went wrong. But the batsmen, they just haven't got the the players for it. If you look at people like Roy and Butler, they rarely play red ball cricket. And and the the, the sort of outlook and perspective of this side under Trevor Bayliss's watch as coach has been they wanted to improve white ball cricket which they did you know to about as well as they possibly could do by winning the World Cup yet the the test side has just fallen off a cliff and um, yeah it's bleak really really bleak you're a great observer of the game great writer of the game as well um, a lot of listeners out there will go, hang on, hang on, hang on, because England are world champions. They've won the World Cup a, a couple of weeks ago. So how can they go from those highs to those lows? Uh, do we fully understand the differences, the different disciplines that are needed in the shorter format of the game and test cricket? Oh, uh, yes, just personnel probably is, is the main difference. All the guys that are in that one-day team are suited to it. And all the... General, the, the, generally, the, the players that are coming through in English cricket are also limited over sort of specialists or, or more suited to that game. There's a dearth of, of, of players who, who just, exactly like you just said, who, who are aware of the disciplines that are needed. Um, there's, well, England have had given chances to players in, in the recent past that they hoped would be well suited to test match batting, like Hasib Hamid, who did brilliantly on his debut in India. And his career has uh, gone into such a tailspin since then, or since an injury that he suffered in, in that series, that he's now been discarded by his county, Lancashire, when he was, not long ago, the great hope that he was going to save English batting. Um, so it's just, I think, personnel is the main issue in, in terms of batsmen. And it's a real pity because they've got a bowling attack that could definitely compete with, with anybody in the world um, if they could just put, post any sort of total at all. It's great to have you on the show. Let's talk a little bit, if we can, about Joe Root. We say England don't have batters. There's a man who we were told, and certainly we've all written about it, and we've all talked about it, someone who we thought was maybe just once in a generation style of a batsman. He has kind of, his form has fallen off a cliff. Is he a lucky man, or maybe the knives will be sharpened now, because surely his captaincy needs to be looked at a little bit, because he's not performing with the bat, and there's been one or two questionable decisions. Now, some might say, what can he do with a struggling batting lineup? But Joe Root is not going to be without his detractors after this, if they do go, which it does look as if they will do, and lose the Ashes series. Yeah, well, he, he can solve a lot of the problems himself by scoring runs. Um, and he's obviously failed to do that. Like he's had a couple of really bad failures in the last two games. And you might think, well, you know, he's... There was always this debate about him going up to number three in the batting order. That obviously, with England being so frail at the top of the order, he'd get in very early against the uh, swinging and seeming new ball. And that's exactly what happened. He's faced three balls in his last two innings, and he's looked all at sea as well. 
Um, it, it, he could solve a lot of problems about. I, I don't think that the knives necessarily will be sharpened for his, in terms of a criticism of his captaincy, because there's just no other sort of obvious obvious replacement for him. Um, any who else is is senior and and uh, and sort of definitely going to get their place? You're only talking about the bowlers um, it, it, from that point of view, and then you don't often see bowlers captain inside. Uh, ben Stokes, the all-round, he couldn't really overload him with any more work. So I don't think that his his position as captain's um, particularly in jeopardy. But he, yeah, he just needs to get out there and get some time in the middle and. Uh, show, I, th- I think you, when you just mentioned about people talking about him as a great batsman, he was often bracketed with the other three great batsmen in the world, Steve Smith, Virat Kohli and Kane Williamson. And, and he's just, in terms of his, the, the returns that he's had, they're just he's just nowhere near them really at the moment. Surely give the captain seat to Joffre Archer. That's the way forward, isn't yeah, Joffre- it? Yeah, yeah, and open the batting with Joffre Archer as well. <laughs> the only in is that, as, as they showed yesterday, they're already overloading him, and he, he yeah. went down with cramp yesterday in his second game. Um, but, yeah, why not give him the captaincy? And, yeah, let him open the batting as well. Yeah, definitely. They should do that. that. 70 overs he's bowled since he started Test cricket in the second Test. Wow. Before, so it's extraordinary. The, the workload's been put on him. Quick one from uh, me to you, uh, Radders. Uh, Alex Brim, we just had him on a minute ago. Um, he's talked very succinctly, wasn't gloating at all, uh, which was very kind of him, but talking succinctly <laughs> about the role of Justin Langer. Now, I know that a lot has to be, you know, laid, a lot of blame has to be laid at the, uh, the, 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 the doorstep of the batsmen themselves. I've got a bit of an issue with the management at England at the moment. I watched Graham Thorpe's interview after yesterday's disastrous game. And, yeah, he was sort of taking it on the chin to a certain degree, but so much responsibility given to the batsman. Are we lacking that sort of, that, that Justin Langer role who's willing to shout at the players, who's willing to bring a Ricky Ponting in to give them a bit of a shake-up, who brings Steve Warren, who's willing to call it as it is? Do we lack that in the sort of England management at the moment? It's difficult to know, really, because Graham Thorpe, is apparently a bit of a grump. So I would have thought he, he would have a pop at the players, especially bearing in mind how much of a price he used to put on his wicket when he was a batsman, highly successful for England. And to see them not doing that, I just thought it would really pain him and he'd let them know that. But surely they should know that already. Um, so I don't know how much... Obviously, we don't know really because we don't, we're not in the dressing room. So we don't know how much sort of stalls are set by it. But if you do look at the Australian bat- batsman in this series, I, I think both sides are, uh, have got big flaws, but uh, England are more flawed than Australia. The, the batsmen in the Australian team have, if you look at Marnus Labuschagne, as they call him, or Labus Smith, as, as some people have taken to call him, because he's done so well since he came in as the concussion substitute for Steve Smith. He has battled so hard and that is basically exactly what Justin Langer used to do. So the fact that, yeah, maybe, maybe there is something in that and, and Justin Langer's made a big impact on this team, but it's difficult to know, you know, well, certainly Trevor Bayliss, the England head coach, never sort of seen much or know much exactly as to what he's doing. So there might be something in it, but it's difficult to know. On that front, Radders, are you hearing anything, of course, regardless of whether England win or lose, and it does it certainly look as if they will lose this Ashes series, Trevor Bayliss, win or lose, is gone at the end of it. Any talk, or what are you hearing in terms of who will come in and replace him? Yeah, well, there's a few options, actually, out there. I'm not sure how much, how far down the line they are to get in a replacement, but there are a few good options, like Mike Hessen is out of work, um, did a brilliant job with New Zealand. Um, he'd be he'd be a, a real coup, I think, if they could get him in. Um, Ford at Ireland, he's, he's got a job, so I, I I wouldn't have thought they could they could particularly go and get him. Um, yeah, no, I'd have thought Hessen would be the good one, I think, for England. But um, there's a few options. You never really know which way they're going to go, to be honest. Rudders, we're watching with interest, obviously, the lunch break at the moment, the Leeds test. Uh, just before we let you get on with the rest of your weekend, uh, cricket is one of your passions. Sport in general is your passion, but rugby is another of your great passions. Uh, we've got Scotland against France. Scotland looking to redeem themselves after their abysmal performance last weekend. Any score update on that one for a CBR? Yeah, the currently the score 7-3. France took two minutes to score. Greg Laidlaw has just kicked the penalty for Scotland. Currently, France 7, Scotland 3, 30 minutes played. So... 
plans going according to Gregor Townsend's uh, plan in place there at the moment. Uh, just want to get your thoughts though. Obviously loads of time uh, for us to talk about the Rugby World Cup ahead of the September 20th start down there in Japan. Um, Eddie Jones coming out early with his squad, making a bit of a statement with who he's going to take. Um, a couple of surprises in there, but overall, are you happy with the squad that England will be taking to Japan? I'm not sure what to make of it, to be honest, because like you say, surprises, they, they often talk about having a certain amount of caps and a certain amount of experience in, a, in your squad to go to a World Cup and win it. And then he's just picked a, a number of real bolters from, from nowhere, which seems a very strange choice. Um, so, so guys like Willie Hines, the, the scrum half, um, Lewis Ludlam, who showed up well, obviously, um, so far has made a late run at flanker. And Rory McConaughey, who we've seen over here in the sevens, just without a huge amount of 15s experience, has made it into the squad. So you could say that that's exciting and, and the other sides don't know what to expect from, from them. But it sort of goes against everything that they said in terms of picking a, a squad pack with experience. So I, I don't know. Eddie Jones, is, he can go one of two ways and... and you know, he's supposed to be, he, he was recruited to win this World Cup. So, yeah, he's obviously going to live or, live or die by his, uh, his selection decisions there. L looking at his, at his selections for today, do you feel that he's still not quite comfortable with Farrell on, on fly? We know when Eddie Jones started off with England, he went with four to ten, Farrell at 12. They had that massive success down in Australia. Do you feel he's wanting to go with that combination once again? And then we see Tuolagi at, at outside centre? I'm not sure. I think a lot of that comes down to Henry Slade not being fit. At the moment. Um, he's sort of got a bit of everything in the centre and would, would change the uh, change the dynamic, really. Like He's a good defender, he's a good distributor, a good kicking game. The fact that he's not there changes things a lot. So um, that's why I thought you, you'd want a second sort of ball player in Farrell in the midfield as well. Um, so, no, th this is tried and tested and it's sort of probably something that they'll have to use in, in the... Uh, in the World Cup as well, so so it sort of makes sense that they would uh, they give it a go now. But um, yeah, I think they're waiting for Henry Slade to get back. Uh, one win, one loss for England in the warm-ups thus far. Tough gig against Ireland later on this afternoon. I mean, can we read much into these uh, quilter warm-ups for the World Cup? I don't think so. No, they're just um, just testing a few things here and there. But all all the teams. So um, yeah, from if you know one side, one team picks a picks a strong team and the other is experimental then you know it's not going to count too much towards the uh towards the world cup i'd imagine most of the players in particular just just worried about avoiding injury at this moment in time and, and getting just a bit of uh, game time under their belts yeah well certainly know that uh, for all the wrong reasons gareth anscombe not just out of the yeah. world cup looks like he's out of the entire season as well you're right uh, though radders i mean all this talk all this chat uh, about the world cup the real action starts september the 20th over in japan big question has to be um are you going i'm not mate unfortunately no <laughs> have, you tr have you have you tried to pull a few strings along the way uh no it would be pretty tricky mate Expensive place to ban, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Scotsman. Uh, no doubt you will be watching on with interest with the rest of us. Radders, I'll let you get back to the weekend. I know you're a busy man, so really appreciate your time. Uh, any chance for England whatsoever in this Test match mountain to climb? Less than 1%, but that's, there's, there's still a chance. <laughs> we'll, we'll cling on to that 1% at the moment. For now, uh, Paul Radley of The National, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, let's get a quick score update from the rugby at the moment. Uh, it is France against uh, Scotland. However, this one is being played in Scotland after Scotland were... Uh, well, pretty much had the sword taken to them last weekend over in France. Doesn't look good as well, looking at Carlos's face. Doesn't look good at the moment for them, Tom. What I can tell you is France is leading 7-3. Interception, interception try by Damien Bernard uh, put the French in the lead. That, of course, was converted by their fullback, Thomas Ramos. And a solitary penalty by Scottish captain Greg Laidlord. Currently France 7, Scotland 3. England against Ireland. Fascinating match. That one's kicking off at 6 o'clock this evening. Strong teams named by both of the coaches. We'll have more details on that one. Uh, one man who's certainly not in the team, one man who's not uh, part of the plans for Eddie Jones going to Japan. In fact, one man who's retired from the game in recent times but was a great servant to English rugby is a certain James Haskell, who this week announced that he's taking up an alternative career. Eddie Jones was asked about uh, 
uh, James Haskell's decision to sign for Bellator this week? Uh, we'll pick more of the experienced players. Uh, yeah, a lot of those guys. I think he's got a good uh, imagination. Now, look, we're really pleased he's doing well. Uh, he came in yesterday, actually did a weight session with the boys. Uh, it was really good to see him. He was a great servant for us. You know, he's a, a big part of our Grand Slam win in 2016. So, yeah, he's been a great player for England, played 70-odd caps. Uh, it's good to find that he's got a new career ahead of him. Um, whether he's any good or not, I'm definitely going to buy tickets to his first fight, though. I've already got an order in, so um, I'll be sitting uh, ringside. Hopefully I don't get any of his blood on me. Vote <laughs> of confidence there from Eddie Jones. Haskell, Bellator, really? Well, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, in his career, Tom, he speaks a lot about actually training with the MMA guys. He found this made him a lot stronger on the ground. It really, really improved his fitness, etc., etc. He's looking in great shape at the moment. He's currently in training. His first fight, they say, should be the early part of, ne of, of, of next year. He's going to the heavyweight di division. He is very, very heavy. 118 kilograms is what he's weighing at the moment. So a big, big lad. I guess a lot of questions will be asked about his reaction time. But I always kind of like to see uh, uh, sports people trying, trying their hand at other sports. 34 years old. I think age is still on his side. I still think he can make quite an impact. But I think it's going to be a totally different ball game for him. He's sounding very confident. It'll be interesting to see how the results go. I was looking for equivalents on this one. Uh, we talked about Christian Wade a couple of weeks ago. Yes. He's had a, a, a successful transfer over to NFL. Freddie Flintoff, mate of ours, when he was yeah. when he retired from the game, he he put his uh, literally threw his hat into the ring uh, when it came to boxing. Um, but there was sort of question marks about the validity of that particular heavyweight bout. Is this a different case altogether, though? Absolutely, it is. I, I don't know how good. And, and Carl said that he, he's done a little bit of training. Doing a little bit of training is very different from stepping in at the top top level as James Haskell is. I mean, my goodness, a lot of these guys have been doing it an awful long time. He is, obviously, he's got a screw loose because uh, <laughs> to do what he's done throughout his career, he, he's clearly a man that loves a physical challenge, does James, and we wish him well for it. And in actual fact, we, we discussed this at a bit of length and off script this past week, looking at crossover athletes. The most successful, Curtis Woodhouse. Now, he was a former, I think he won four caps for England under-21s, was a midfielder for Sheffield United, Birmingham City. He actually went on and became English boxing champion. Really? Went on. So he retired, I think he was retired with we 32, 33. Went on and actually had a very, very, very good boxing career. Now, am I saying that James Haskell is going to be a Bellator champion down the line? I don't think so. But, but, he is a big unit. As Carl's rightly pointed out, 118 kg. You don't mess with that, that's for sure. Yeah, I guess a lot will be, be asked about his reaction time, and it's actually quite a quite a differentiation from crossovers. Often you see that rugby's will go, rugby players will go into golf, or they might go into cricket. I mean, we know Jeff Wilson that used to yeah. uh, bowl bowl for the for the Black Ferns, and of course a very uh, very uh, well known All Black winger. But yeah, interesting to see MMA. But I mean, he, he's naturally quite a tough guy. You know, he always used to get stuck in ne never stepping away from a bit of controversy on I the get, field. I get that. I just don't get the I don't get where the appetite is. You know, when you yeah. put your body on the line for so long, he's made his money. He's got he's got a sort of fledgling media career on the go at the moment because he's good in studio and off studio. He's got that's a little bit of spark. He's married money as well. I know that's got nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> he is. He's friends with with, with 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 the Royals. You know. He, He's got a lot going for him, so why would you... Is, is that because of that sort of, like, train down, that, that missing the training element? Tom, you try and maintain 118 kilos. I think he, he has to, otherwise he might just balloon. But, no, but in all honesty, I think it's that, 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 that feeling of, of being part of something. I think, you know, when you're in that rugby setup for so many years, you're basically getting told 24 hours a day what to do, when to eat, what to eat, when to train. And I think he maybe just kind of misses that discipline and wants to kind of get back into it. Obviously, keeping in shape is very, very important for me. He is a, he is a big guy, he's carrying a lot of weight. And I think he must really just saw this as, as, a, as the next step. Maratoje was asked the same question in the build-up to England's game against Ireland. Uh, Maro, are you going to be heading out to watch your former teammate James Haskell in the uh, gridiron? Haskell was in yesterday training with you guys. We all know now that he's joining Benetton. Yeah, uh, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, Hask is, is not afraid of a challenge, so fair play to him. Um, I think it's it shows um, his, his character, how how brave and uh, how courageous he is. It shows his competitive spirit to 
want to try his hand at something else. Um, he could have picked an easier life, DJing in Ibiza, but he's chose he's chosen to um, you know be a mixed um, mixed martial art artist. So um, fair play to him, and I wish him every success. And would you back yourself against him in the cage? I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter, so um, I'll stick to I'll stick to rugby. The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. To get some live updates for you, England still eating their lunch and well, I'm presuming praying as well. It's probably a bit of a group prayer going on in the England changing room. They're going to be out in one about four minutes' time or so. Uh, they need 348 runs to win uh, the Test match and keep this Ashes series alive. Um, uh, and it's got big task a large task anyway we'll be all over that one for you what's happening in the rugby Sylvia? yeah Tom what I can tell you up in Murrayfield in Scotland it's France leading the Scottish seven points to three uh, solitary try by Damien Pinard the French right winger intercepting rather sluggish play by Scotland causing the try of course that was converted by fullback Thomas Ramos one single three penalty by uh, Greg Laidlaw the Scottish captain 27 minutes played France seven Scotland three uh, all the drama seems to be generated by two football games ongoing at the moment yeah indeed Carroll Road second half is underway Tom we're two and a half minutes into the second period what an opening half it was if you are just joining us Norwich 2 Chelsea 2 Chelsea have led this football match twice they've been pegged back twice they really should have been ahead for a third time because Jamal Lewis the Norwich left back has gone walkabout Christian Pulisic the American international summer signing from Borussia Dortmund over in Germany he's got oceans of space he just picks the wrong option he goes for goal he slices it wildly Tammy Abraham who was available for him if he had squared it to him. Absolutely incandescent, so he was at his teammate. Not happy at all. Frank Lampard disgusted with the choice as well. So Chelsea squandering a golden opportunity to retake this lead. 48 minutes on the clock. It is a beautiful day over there in Norwich. I said it a few moments ago. I still think we're going to see more goals in this one. It's Norwich 2, Chelsea 2. Chris, don't you just feel not, uh, Chelsea's lacking a bit of leadership on the pitch? A just little, calm the boys down, set, settle in. It just seems like this too many players playing helter skelter here you're not wrong i think that the man that they need on that pitch is the man who's currently in their dugout you yeah. feel frank lampard just someone to get their foot on the ball and, and just kind of talking to, to one or two of the young players i think that's going to be a feature of chelsea this season i mean cesar Aspilicueta, who we see just head over a, a left wing uh, corner for chelsea in fact he should have done better he gets ahead of his marker does Aspilicueta. he of course is one of the elder statesmen Jorginho is someone who is uh, obviously second season now at Chelsea but he's been there seen it with Napoli over in Italy so a couple of wise heads but maybe just not enough uh, Carl and I think that will be as I say a bit of a feature for Chelsea I think you're going to see them pr produce some wonderful football across this campaign you're also going to see a naivety and certainly some of their defending as they've shown already because they're yet to keep a clean sheet they conceded four at Old Trafford they've con conceded two today they failed to stop Leicester from getting back into it last weekend so that's going to be a feature as well but there is more goals in this game there's no doubt about it it's on a knife edge it is though Norwich 2 Chelsea 2 Neil Swarbrick is a name that's been doing the rounds in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Neil Swarbrick is a former Premier League referee who then uh, went to work for VAR. He's also been charged with training uh, all the Premier League officials to operate VAR ahead of the English Premier League season. Uh, no surprise that he's been very much in demand in recent weeks. Uh, so let's just listen in to a snippet of a little interview that he gave uh, to uh, one of the news sources recently about the effect that VAR will have on the Premier League. Right, so um, first of all, just want to get your thoughts on, do you think that uh, uh, use of VAR in the Premier League this season could increase the number of penalties that we uh, that we see given? No, not necessarily, no. I mean, the threshold we're working on are clear and obvious. I mean, generally we're leaving everything to the on-field referee. So it all depends on the communication, what the referee's seen, and obviously his explanation married up with the views. So if he has made a clear and obvious error, obviously the VAR will step in. Whether it will increase the penalties given, obviously only time will tell. Uh, the stats for the 69 games we've done in Carabao Cup and FA Cup hasn't shown a big increase in penalties given, no. And of course you mentioned that um, the handball rule is not going to be changing. So therefore, do you think that, do you think that it's more... Uh, 
increase in penalties linked to VAR being used or the handball rules that have been used, say, example, in the Women's World Cup? Uh, once again, the way we operate with handball and the way we have done over the last three, four or five seasons in the Premier League is slightly different to how other competitions have operated. We're just going to carry on doing exactly the same as we have done. So we're expecting defenders' arms to be in natural positions when they challenge for the ball. If the ball strikes the hand, and as long as it's not away from the body or above the head, then we're not going to intervene. We'll just leave it as, as we normally have done. The referee will give an explanation, yeah, I know it's hit the arm, but it's in a natural position for me. And if the replay is once again sure what the referee's seen, then we'll just be leaving it alone. And just finally, how can you ensure that the pace and intensity of the Premier League isn't going to be hampered by the use of the AR this season? Yeah, that's one thing, obviously, we're conscious of. We're, we're conscious of the Premier League product and why it's sold and why it's viewed around the world by so many people. And, and that's one of the main reasons, the pace and intensity. So what we're, what we're tending to do is obviously limit the time we use the referee review area. So the lads who operate with VAR and the referees, there's a lot of trust between them. We've operated and worked with this for the last two and a half years. So if the VAR advises on a decision to, to the referee, he's quite comfortable taking on board what the VAR is saying and making his decision from that advice. If it's completely out of kilter with what the referee expects, then he's still within his rights to go over to the RRA. But the, the limited use of the RRA, I think, will decrease the time. Uh, obviously the game being held up Sure, brilliant and one final thing can you just quickly summarise once again um, how the sort of decisions are going to be communicated to the people in the stadium during the game Yeah, in stadium fortunately we've got 18 uh, clubs that have the large screen so there will actually be graphics shown of what decision is being checked so there'll be big graphics shown when that decision has been checked if there's going to be a review it'll once again the graphics will explain that the what the decision is and then backing that up after that will actually be a replay of the decision being overturned so it's a, a challenge has gone in yellow card has been given by the referee after the VR has, re has looked at it uh, it's been reviewed to a red card that actual challenge will be shown in screen as well as that there'll be a PA announcement explaining to everyone the visually impaired etc so they don't miss out on the experience as well two grounds in the Premier League don't have the large screen so all we can do there is utilise the scoreboards the electronic scoreboards so they'll get the graphics but unfortunately they won't get the uh, the definitive view with the replay of the incident itself but once again they will still use the PA announcements as well. So that's Neil Swarbridge uh, of VAR explaining its impact so it's 2019 ladies and gentlemen there are two teams in one of the richest leagues in the world one of the richest sports events in the world that can't afford a big screen in their stadium. Who are they, Chris? They are the two most successful teams in English football history, Manchester United and Liverpool Football Club. Unfortunately, I was at Old Trafford. I've got to say, Neil's wrong there. I'm going to, I'm going to call him out. I was at Vicarage Road on the opening day of the season. There were no replays. It was like Alexa telling us VAR decision reviewed you were listening to an automated computer it's a horrible experience for fans in the stadium you're up you're celebrating you've not got a clue what's going on you've got this computerized voice coming over the tunnel there was no replays there was nothing like that VAR decision comes on the big screen you get as I say over the PA announcement but it, sometimes that'll happen 30 40 seconds after the fact it is now built for us TV viewers is football it is a horrible experience VAR for punters in the stadium I said so on off script this past week as well and uh, there's still an awful lot of things to be ironed out interesting to hear him there as well I know Jamie Redknapp a pundit now of course former Liverpool and England midfielder he was saying well wait a minute not one referee has consulted with a monitor we talk about clear and obvious we hear there from Neil saying oh we don't want to take away any powers from the refs it's the ref still refereeing well no it's not because we're seeing decisions overturned without the referee going over and consulting with the monitor and they determining whether it's clear and obvious. We're getting VAR assistants saying, ref, you're wrong, it's clear and obvious, change your decision. So that flies in the eye of what he's just said there. I think it's caused an awful lot of talking points. I think it's not perfect. I've said this all along. I actually think it is actually quite galling that the biggest sport on the planet, football, has got a system that is not foolproof. I think a lot more should have been done before rolling it out. It will be tweaked as it goes because right now 
it isn't perfect and it's a long way short of being perfect for those punters that pay their good money to sit and follow their teams length and breadth of the country. I, I still think they should just follow the rugby example. The rugby example's been pretty successful thus far. The, the only criticism I've got of the rugby example, it takes quite a bit of time out of the game, but the third referee or the second referee in that, in, the, in that situation basically makes a decision and advises the referee on the field because he's been able to look at the scenario twice, three or four times and I feel football should do the same. Yeah, that's what is essentially happening. He might tell you that it's still the referee refereeing. It isn't because the Premier League has a worry. They worried in all the, the, the research that they did, we don't want the game slowing down. So we had Steve Bennett talking about this very subject, the former Premier League referee has been there 13 years, whereby what they've done is, the Premier League, because they don't want it slowing down, they essentially allow the video assistant referees to overturn decisions if it is clear and obvious. An offside is an offside, it's fact or not a fact. But from these clear and obvious penalty decisions, and remember, there's only four criteria for which VAR comes in. That is goals, that is penalties, that's mistaken identities, and of course, straight red cards. That's the only time that VAR can be used and has been utilised. Of course, we had controversy last week with the Man City goal being ruled out late on, but that's because of a new rule that's come in this year regarding handballs. Any handballs, whether deliberate or not, from an attacking standpoint, will be deemed a foul. And we saw Laporte, the ball hit his arm on its way to Gabriel Jesus before he scored to what he thought was the winner for City. Not, no longer, it wasn't VAR's problem, that one. It was more the new rule, whether you like it or not, like it or lump it, because that rule is here to stay this season. Two issues I've got with it, overcomplication, uh, yep. um, and I think it's borne out by the referee speak we hear there from people like Nia Swarbrick, where I'm still none the wiser when I hear that to a certain <laughs> degree. There's a lot of technical talk in there, and there seems to be every time VRR is explained to me. So we'll, we'll try and get more of a sort of layman's language or not in a minute. And the other one is, is this not, and the one sort of big moan I'm hearing at the moment is people in grounds. So that is your lifeblood of your team. That is the lifeblood of your club, is people that pay exorbitant amounts for season tickets these days, go week in, week out, home and away, paid to follow their team. And they're not getting the experience. It's almost as if the onus is now on, you know what, stay at home. Yeah, Watch it, it on Sky. Watch it on BT. Because you're going to get a much better experience. But, but that's exactly it, Tom. These football clubs, now, the lifeblood, it isn't the fans in the stadium because football clubs are getting more money from your Sky TVs, your BN Sports, your NBCs, whoever your broadcaster is around the world, that the match day revenue only makes up a small portion of the money that is pouring into the coffers. That is why, dare we see, dare we say, Bournemouth can go out and afford all these big players. Bournemouth play in front of 12,000 people. Burnley, 22,000. These are Premier League clubs paying astronomical salaries and astronomical transfer fees that they could not afford with the turnover of their stadiums with the money that is spent by fans going to games. What it is, is it's a, it's a little poke in the eye to football fans that travel the length and breadth of the country because truly the officials at the very top ruling the game they couldn't care less what they care the most about is us sitting over here in Dubai with our various packages watching it on the television that is where football is going someone said on social media last week football is now becoming a sport and I, and I hate to say this but because being there a couple of weeks back there's nothing beats the live experience for me unfortunately though the powers that be Football is becoming one of those sports, it's better to stay at It's not at alone, home. though. It's not alone, though, is it? I mean, if you think, and we've talked about it in the past with Formula One, I'd rather watch Formula One uh, on the TV than I would yeah. actually go to the experience unless I'm doing some extraordinary hospitality. And cricket, to a certain degree, is getting there because the advancement of the technology that commentators and broadcasters have, it almost becomes a better experience. I think golf is another sport that yeah. can add to that list. But us saying all that is, Chris, try and get a ticket for a game in the Premier League. Try and get a ticket to, to, to one of these stadiums for a game in the Premier League, and, and the demand is still so, it so, is so high. That's the wrong question to ask Chris, because he can pretty much sort yeah, it out. Yeah, but okay, okay. I talk about normal people like myself here, Tom, but, but honestly. <laughs> Look, he gave you a go. What are you talking about? <laughs> talk, talk, talk about how myself. Many, how many do you need? Uh, uh, by the way, Chris, you're still supposed to get back to me about that ticket for the opening game of the season. But yeah, Tom. The, 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 I did have a couple spare, actually, Carl. <laughs> Message Tom the day of the game. Tom, you fancy coming to United Chelsea? Why? I've got two tickets spare. But I was at the London Stadium, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, you were. Like that. You were. Uh, listen, you know, I was talking there about the sort of ref speak, and you know how Mr. Swarbrick is obviously in a nice little number at the moment, and he was giving his little thoughts there. Um, uh, interesting, you say Steve Bennett, because I don't think this is Steve Bennett, because this is Steve Bennett of uh, Man United TV. He's done some nice pieces on uh, VAR, the rules, and things like that. Basically, trying to break it down 
for your average fan as well. So let's get his take on VAR. With the 2019 Premier League season fast approaching, the introduction of VAR will now be commonplace in the top flight of English football. Following the success of the technology in the 2018 FIFA World Cup, fans all over the world are interested to see exactly how VAR will affect the domestic game. In the past, VAR has had a huge impact on the games we've played as a club, whether that's the handball away to PSG or the disallowed one matter goal against Huddersfield, the technology is sure to create conversation all over the football world. But what exactly is VAR? VAR stands for Video Assistant Ref, which is operated by a team of three people who work together to review certain decisions made by the referee on the pitch. They do this by reviewing a number of video replays from all angles of the relevant situation in question. Situated on site in the video operations room and surrounded by monitors, the VAR team consists of a video assistant referee who is either a previous or current referee, their assistant and a reply operator. Well, obviously with VAR coming to the Premier League this year, the VAR decisions will be relayed, relayed directly to the referee via the earpiece. They'll also be relayed to the, the watching millions on TV. And then they'll be relayed to the fans here in Old Trafford as well. And for us at Old Trafford, that will be done by a combination of uh, PA announcements, uh, the VAR graphics, decision reviews on the LED scoreboards, and also on the pitch side ad boards here at Old Trafford. Using VAR, there are only four decisions that can be reviewed by the referee. Goals and any incident leading up to it, penalties, red card decisions, and any mistaken identity in awarding a card. For a decision to be reviewed, the process can work in two ways. The referee can request a review after making the decision, or the VAR team can suggest a review to be made to the referee. For VAR to suggest a review, there must be potential for a clear error to have been made so they can notify the referee of their recommendation. In that scenario, the referee has two options. They can either immediately overturn their decision based on the advice from the VAR team, or they can stick with their initial decision. So that's your VAR 101. However, as much as we play those sort of clips, as much as we talk about it, I can guarantee there'll be headlines tomorrow morning, it'll be headlines uh, the morning after that, it'll be headlines on Monday, uh, mor uh, Tuesday morning, uh, and it will be throughout the course of this season because it's something new. Exactly that. And, and Steve Bennett, the, the referee, not that Steve Bennett, uh, presenting for MUTV Steve Bennett he of 13 years experience of refereeing Premier League and other international matches around the world he pointed that out that every year there is maybe a tweak or remember when they got rid of the pass back rule there was always fallout and then it dies down it is all about us having a whinge all about us having something to talk about it's kind of in the kind of British DNA is it not we do love a good whinge but, but before the end of the season is out though it will be much clearer for us all it will be much more understandable and VAR I think the message from all involved is that it is here to stay yes it will be tweaked but it's going nowhere because fundamentally let's remember why it's been introduced in the first place it's to get decisions correct uh, Rory Burns is out uh, England's uh, response and their chase down of this unlikely total has just taken a turn for the worse. And guess how he's out? Bold Hazelwood caught Warner. How many times have we seen that in this test match? So 67 they were bowled out for yesterday, Tom. They're on 15 for one. So 82 runs. England have lost 11 wickets. Pitiful. It's extraordinary. Going to keep an eye on that one. One eye on that one. Also keeping an eye on the football. Still remains 2-2 in the early kickoff in the Premier League. And we talked VAR there. There's also the small matter of new rules. Uh, plenty of new rules. Upwards of 20 new rules or tweaks to rules. Uh, that have been applied uh, by, what are they called, IFAB or something like that? Yeah, IFAB, the international, oh, don't actually ask yeah. me, it's the referee body. Yeah, so they've brought in these new rules. Again, uh, some of them uh, are pretty common sense, others need a little more explaining as well. That's why I've, I've asked my man Chris McCarty to do his homework <laughs> uh, on this one. The one, before we listen again to Steve Bennett, who's tried to do his little breakdown, I'll get your thoughts on that, but the one that I, I, I miss most, and I noticed yesterday actually doing um, the sort of commentary that we've thrown ourselves into, is uh, no more drop ball. No yeah, more... Yeah, no that's contested, contested. I mean, that's, that's been a sort of staple of, of amateur football and professional football for since since the beginning of the game, yeah, surely. The, the, drop oh, ball, the drop ball is done. Have we got another wicket? Yeah. Is it Joe Root? If that's Joe Root, first No, it's again. not. I think no, it's Roy. Roy. Of course it is, yeah. 15 for two, England. Oh, my God, that's pitiful. Absolutely disgraceful. 15 for two. Anyway, forget the cricket. Back to the drop ball. Yeah, drop ball done and dusted. You're absolutely right to, to point that out. It, there, there have been numerous little rule changes. Now, the one that I still find bizarre, that when taking a free kick, an attacking team taking a free kick, 25 yards out, you've got the wall set up, that the opposing players can't be within a metre of the wall, yeah. which 
is an odd one. I think it's to stop, and again, Steve Bennett, not he of MUTV, former Premier League referee, was pointing out that it's to stop the jostling. You know, you used to see, and I remember Manchester United 1999 when we won the treble. Mario Basler at Walls, who scored after five minutes for Bayern Munich. And you, you may recall Marcus Babel, I think, who it was, just leant on the wall, just put his weight on the wall to create that little space, and Mario Basler bent it around Peter Schmeichel's side into the bottom corner. You can't see any of that anymore because there has to be a meter between any attacking players and the wall. So they're, they're putting the spray down to mark out 10 yards, they're putting spray down to mark out a metre away. I mean, it's a load of old nonsense. The other new rule, of course, is you're now able, defenders can come into the box, goal kicks no longer have to come outside of the box. And then the other one, which has caused an awful lot of controversy over the course of the past seven days, the big one anyway, is this new handball rule from an attacking standpoint. If there is a handball used, as I said earlier, whether it is intentional or not, in the build-up to a goal, the goal will be ruled out. They're the kind of big three. The handball one is a concern, isn't it? Because with the, the advent of VAR as well, that, I think, is what has become... Every it, goal it, checked. It, it's focused it so much more exactly. now. And that's what the, the contentious things we've seen here is what constitutes the handball and where does the hand become the arm and where does the arm become the... Exactly. Now it is any any part of that arm is touched. Whether, as I say, it could be brushed off. I mean, the great example is Fernando Llorente. Remember last season in the Champions League where Spurs got back into it for the corner? That goal this season will not stand. Llorente didn't know where the ball was. No intention whatsoever but crucially it still hit his arm in that Champions League tie that led to Spurs scoring a goal this season. That goal would have been ruled out as we saw last week. Laporte had no idea. I mean it was it brushed off of his arm but VAR boys picked it up. Goals disallowed. New rules. VAR. CVR. You happy with them? <laughs> well I, I'm, I'm all for VAR. I think nowadays if you see the amount of money in the game and, and how important a lot of fixtures are I think they have to get it right. I think there's been too many decisions going wrong. The new rules, well, I'm, I'm not too much of a fan of, the, of, 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 of this handball, but Tom, I think VAR is oh, here to goal. stay. And what a goal. As I said, we've got a goal for Chelsea. Chris? It's fair to say Tammy Abraham has silenced his critics today. This is a great goal. It's, it's open. It, I think it was Jamie Carragher that said watching Chelsea at times it's like a basketball match and he's absolutely right because they are so open Norwich have had good situations but when the game is this open and it is, look at it, it is a wonderful little through ball, Matteo Kovacic finds Tammy Abraham, he turns Grant Hanley inside out, he then takes it past Ben Godfrey, he's on the edge of the area, he's still got an awful lot of work to do but he just fires it across Tim Cruel into the bottom right hand corner of the Norwich goalkeeper's net it's a real good finish this from Tammy Abraham looking at it on replay however I think it goes through the legs doesn't it it goes through the legs of Hanley that just dupes Tim Crew. it's not in the bottom corner at all it's quite central on hindsight but because it goes through the legs of Grant Hanley the big Norwich centre half Tim Krul is unsighted he can't get down quick enough Tammy Abraham has a double in this match five goals in total it's been an absolute belter if this is a sign of what's to come for the rest of the day settle in we're in for an absolute doozy of an afternoon it's Norwich 2 Chelsea 3 and Tammy Abraham that young man well done him because he's got to he silenced his critics today new rules in the Premier League new rules in football uh, this season the world over let's get uh, Steve Bennett of MUT TV, not Steve Bennett, of referee pedigree's thoughts on those. As the 2019 season of the Premier League is almost upon us, and while most of us are either excited or worried about the prospect of VAR coming into English football, the International Football Association have announced a list of rules which will affect the game from this season. So let's take a look. Number one, free kicks. Starting this season, players on the attacking team are no longer allowed within one yard of a wall containing three or more players. The International Football Association stated there is no legitimate tactical justification with it being against the spirit of the game. Number 2. Celebrations According to the new rules, the yellow or red card issued by the referee for an illegal celebration, such as running into the fans or removal of the player's shirt, cannot be rescinded even if the goal has been disallowed by VAR. Number 3. Handball any goal which is now scored or created through accidental handball will no longer stand. The same rule also states that any player caught with his hand above shoulder height is deemed unnatural and they'll be taking a risk by having it in that position. Number 4. Quick free kicks. 
If the referee is about to issue a player with a card for a foul, but the team in possession decide to take a quick free kick to create a scoring opportunity, the referee can now delay issuing a card until the next stoppage within the game. The International Football Association stated that it's clearly unfair if a new attack is stopped so the referee can penalise the offender. Number 5. Subs. A player that has been substituted must now leave the field by the nearest point on the touchline. This has been enforced to eliminate players slowly walking to the halfway line to waste time in a game. Number 6. Drop ball. Drop balls are now a big thing of the past, with the Football Association stating the current procedure is exploited unfairly and can lead to an aggressive confrontation. The new rules means the team that touched the ball last will remain in possession unless the game was stopped inside the 18-yard box. In that case, it's returned to the goalkeeper. Number 7. Penalty Kicks From this season, all goalkeepers during a penalty kick must ensure they have at least one foot on the goal line when the penalty is taken. All movement and intent to throw off the penalty taker is no longer acceptable. Number 8. Goal Kicks Under the old legislation, the ball was considered dead within the 18-yard box during a goal kick. This season, however, the ball now becomes in play from the moment that it's touched. This is thought to create a faster and more dynamic restart to the game and eliminate any attempt at time-wasting. Number 9. Officials Any team official guilty of misconduct during a game will now be issued a yellow or red card. If the offender cannot be identified, the senior coach in the technical area will now be penalised instead. Number 10. Kickoff Going into the 2019 season, the winner of the pre-match coin flip can now have the option of kicking off or choosing which goal to attack first. Previously, they only had the option of choosing which side they wanted to start the game. And finally, number 11, head-to-head -head results. Starting from the new season, two teams who end the campaign on the same points and goal difference will now have their final position decided by their head-to-head -head results. This is an attempt to avoid any playoff being required to determine a final position in the league table when it comes to the title, European spots and relegations. If two teams end their campaign on the same points, goal difference and equal head-to-head -head results, then the team that scored the most away goals will be given the higher league position. In a worst-case scenario where both teams finish level with an equal away goal record, then a playoff will be used to decide the tie. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app.